Welcome to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Molly Watts. If you want to change your drinking habits and create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, you're in the right place. This podcast explores the strategies I use to overcome a lifetime of family alcohol abuse, more than 30 years of anxiety and worry about my own drinking, and what felt like an unbreakable daily drinking habit. Becoming an alcohol minimalist means removing excess alcohol from your life so it doesn't remove you from life. It means being able to take alcohol or leave it without feeling deprived. It means to live peacefully, being able to enjoy a glass of wine without feeling guilty and without needing to finish the bottle. With science on our side, we'll shatter your past patterns and eliminate your excuses. Changing your relationship with alcohol is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast with me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from, well, I can see some blue sky out there. Honestly, I have to say that it's now approaching the middle of May and um, a coworker shared with me this week that a friend of hers posted that we are in a rain prison here in the great Northwest. I kind of liked that idea because truthfully, it's been it's just really gotten soggy wet, more so than usual. And um, I'm I'm kind of looking for some sunshine around here, folks looking for some sunshine. Today on the podcast, I am just super excited to share this conversation with you. My guest today is Debbie Hampton. And Debbie recovered from a suicide attempt many years ago, and a resulting brain injury. And she's gone on to become an inspirational and educational writer. She is the author of Beat Depression and Anxiety by Changing Your Brain, and a memoir called Sex, Suicide, and Serotonin, Taking Myself Apart and Putting Myself Back Together. Debbie writes for the Huffington Post, Mind Body Greened, and more. And she also has her own website, which I love, called The Best Brain Possible, where she shares information and inspiration on how to better your brain and your life. She is a big proponent of neuroplasticity um, because she's she's walking, living proof of it. And her journey has been one that um, I just think is so inspiring. And I think you will really love hearing from her. Here is my conversation with Debbie Hampton. Hello, Debbie. Thank you so much for being here and taking time to be with me on the Alcohol Minimalist podcast. I really just can't wait to share your story of hope and inspiration with my audience. And because you and I really align quite, quite uh, completely on the fact that we think that the brain is a pretty amazing thing and that you really can do just about anything you want to do no matter what's happened, uh, by working on it. Is that, would you agree with that? I definitely would Molly. And thank you for inviting me. I'm anxious to speak with you and your audience. Yeah. Well, I just gave a brief introduction before we started talking about you, but I really, you know, we're going to dive in. I want to hear the whole, the whole nitty gritty story. So, because it's a pretty amazing an amazing story. I learned about you because of um, work that I've done in neuroscience and studying neuroscience and 
someone brought you up as an indi- uh, 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 an example of um, someone who read the book, The Brain That Heals Itself, the, that book. And I, I love that book. I think it's just amazing. And so then I wanted to, I just reached out to you because I just wanted to learn more. So start us back. This has been, well, it was like 15 years ago, right? That you tried to commit suicide. Is that about 2007? Right? Yeah. So 15 years ago. Wow. So take me back there. Tell me about what all of the things. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> well, you don't have to go. You tell me, but I want to hear what happened then and where you've come from way back then. Yeah, I'll give you the clip notes uh, <laughs> of until then. Uh-huh. But I had a pretty normal upbringing in uh, middle class North Carolina. And um, like in the 60s and 70s, and like most people of that era, um, my parents meant well and they were intelligent, but they weren't incredibly emotionally intelligent. Mm, yeah. And as I was not until midlife. And, but so I've learned unhealthy ways to cope and to react and to interpret the world. Mm-hmm. And I continued to play that out throughout my young adult life mm-hmm. and being overreactive, um, codependent mm-hmm. and having depressive catastrophic negative thinking and and provoking anxiety I mean I learned all in a way those things we may have predispositions to those things Mm -hmm. but we're very much the product of our environment Mm -hmm. and we learn those things from what we see we learn those from our parents from our caregivers from school Mm -hmm. and church and until we, we take responsibility for our own minds and our own reactions, we are a product of our environment, yeah. as was I. So when life got difficult, my response was to try to end my life. And that's what I did in 2007. And there were a lot of different events leading up to it. I mean, major catastrophic events. Like I took care of my brother who had AIDS, mm-hmm. who, have, I mean, died. But I took care of him for two years. And I was in no way equipped to mentally and emotionally take care, go through that. Right. And witness him dying and then deal with the after effects of him dying. I mean, I didn't, and I had an infant son at the time. So as, as most caregivers, and I had never been good at it, but I didn't take care of myself. I took care of them and they were my parties. So my mental health, which wasn't great to begin with, just kept getting worse. And then I married my high school sweetheart right after college and He wasn't a bad guy when I married him, but as he grew in money and stature and power, I shrunk Mm -hmm. and he became a controlling 
abusive narcissist. And it was an emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. So over the years, my mental health just degraded. Mm -hmm. So in 2007, I left the marriage, came back to North Carolina with two sons. And this was after my brother died. And I was a single mother uh, facing working for the first time in a decade with Mm -hmm. two little boys. And I had the emotional maturity and intellect, emotional intellect of a a preschooler. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally did not know how to help myself or how to cope. I had I react dramatically. I can't, I can't say, but it made a catastrophe out of everything. Right. I mean, everything was a dramatic explosion Mm -hmm. and I made things worse. And in 2007, the ex-husband, who by this time was very powerful, very rich, uh, filed another lawsuit, which he had had a, a history of doing. Mm-hmm. So he was harassing me legally, even though I got away from him with the kids. I did not escape. But so he continued harassing me for years. And I jumped right into another relationship, which was similar, similar to the marriage, emotionally unhealthy, and I was codependent and needy. And so when all this piled on top of me, my answer was to try to end my life by taking a bunch of pills and drinking a couple bottles of wine. And I did manage to put myself in a coma for a week and severely injure my brain. But as you can see, I didn't die. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I didn't. I wasn't glad when I woke up. I matter of fact, I was mad. Mm-hmm. And I was severely brain injured when I woke up. Yeah, tell me. Couldn't. So let's yeah, tell me about that because that's a pretty significant part of your of your journey is how just how significant your brain was damaged. I um as I said, I downed all the pills with bottles of wine. So when I woke up, I sounded like I was drunk. I mean, my speech was very slurred. And it was like my mouth was wired shut and crammed full of marbles. Mm-hmm. I, I, and the words that came out of my mouth were nothing like what I heard in my head. And I was not cognitively um there a hundred percent either i mean my my speech and my thoughts were delayed there was a time lapse in between them i didn't know i my brother died i didn't know i'd gotten divorced i didn't mm-hmm. even know my second son had been had been born wow um i couldn't control my bodily functions my hands had a constant tremor because as I know now, I had something called serotonin syndrome. And I mean, I just, I had no memory of 
I mean, I knew like a chair was a chair and I knew a bed was a bed, but my brain couldn't assimilate what was going on or what was happening or who, who, who was who or any of that. So it took, I was in the hospital for two weeks mm-hmm. in a coma for a week and on a respirator and then like learning the bare minimum of how to live again for the second week. And then I went home with a nurse around the clock and then a family member staying with me. And my ex-husband sued me for custody of my sons and won and took, moved out of state with them. Mm-hmm. So if I thought things were bad before, <laughs> I, they were really bad now. Yeah. yeah. And I still was not convinced I wanted to live. And matter of fact, for like the first year, I was not convinced I wanted to live. But I actually went on a vacation with my brother, other brother, in Hawaii and had an ear drowning incident. And I'm, I used to be a lifeguard in college and high school. And I was a competitive swimmer. I'm a good swimmer. Yeah. But after the brain injury, I wasn't so good. <laughs> and we went swimming in this little bay. And the current got strong and I kicked off my fin. And it became a life or death situation. And I was going under the water, coming up, yelling for help. And I saw this sailboat kind of bobbing in the middle of the bay. And I decided to swim to it. So I did. And then my brother saw me. And the guy came up on above board deck on the boat and rowed me to shore in this little canoe kind of boat. And it wasn't until I got home after that incident that occurred to me, I tried to end my life just like six months earlier. Mm -hmm. And here was an opportunity to end my life. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. My only instinct was to save myself and to fight really hard to save myself. And I thought, why did I do that? And I came to understand that I did want to live. And that what I wanted to stop was all that chatter in my head and all the pain. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, all the negative stuff. I just wanted to stop that. I didn't want to stop my life. And I realized I wanted to live and I started acting like it. And I started reading everything I could about rehabilitating your brain and your body and your mind. And I read that book. We talked about Norman Doidge's book, The Brain That Changes Itself. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing book if anybody hadn't read it. But it basically tells stories of people that are born with half brain or that have had devastating injuries and how their brains recovered. And it goes into the mechanics of 
how your brain works and how it does that. And I thought, here is a manual for me to rehabilitate my brain. I, every brain and every brain injury is different, but the basics of how your brain works and heals is the same. Mm-hmm. And I basically took that book and used it as a recipe to rehabilitate my brain. And it's based on something called neuroplasticity, yep. which is your brain changes and adapts functionally and physically based on input and how you use it. Yeah. We talk about neuroplasticity a lot around here. Oh, I'm really? Real, right. yeah, yeah. I'm a big, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, I definitely had to learn about. I, well, it helped me understanding that the brain was really, that I was not stuck in these. It's empowering. It is these past patterns and these past habits. And that, you know, it really is true that you are never too old. You are never too injured is what I'm, you know, hearing from you. And this is what was so compelling about your story, because I mean, I just had a really, I just had a really tired habit that I couldn't seem to kick. And I did believe because I grew up as an adult child of an alcoholic, I had a lot of stories about having a genetic disposition, right. To desire alcohol more. I thought that that's, I wanted to blame it on that. And the truth is that I had just trained my brain in one way and it was completely capable of being retrained in a different way. And what I love about what you're, what you talked about first too, is just the emotional resilience and the emotional intelligence. You know, we really aren't taught it in school. We aren't taught how our thoughts connect to our feelings that lead to our actions. We're not shown this way that we can actually create feelings. You know, I, I grew up kind of the same, I mean, not the same as you, but in in a similar way in terms of my mom was uh, because she was an alcoholic and she, she was a very anxious person. So she modeled anxiety all the time to me. That was kind of her, that was the way she handled things. Everything kind of like you said, everything was a catastrophe. Everything was, you know, the world was scary and not, not something to go be not an adventure waiting to happen. Just, you know, what are you going to do to not, to not screw up in your life? You know, that kind of thought process. So I grew up with a lot of those stories and I never really understood until I was, it didn't, I didn't have as much um, mental health issue or mental health problems as you did, but I definitely had enough that I was, you know, misusing alcohol all the time. And so, so many of the people that I know listen to are. Hey everyone, just a quick break here in the show to talk with you about Sunnyside. Sunnyside has partnered with me and I am super excited to share this company with you. I've actually had the founders on the show before, and I will link that in the show notes so you can hear a little bit from them. Sunnyside is an app that helps you cut back on your drinking or simply build healthier drinking habits. I have watched the company grow over this last year, and I'm so impressed. They are deeply mission-driven, and they are building a service to help millions of people create a healthier relationship with alcohol. 
and they're doing it without the pressure to quit or feel guilty. So of course, you know, it aligns with everything I talk about here at Alcohol Minimalist. Think of Sunnyside as a digital coach that helps you set the plan for the week and provides tools to track your drinks and measure your progress, all while using proven behavior change techniques to create a lasting habit change. It's super easy to start, super easy to stick to, and it includes a 15-day free trial so you can test it out. Really, it's worth checking out. Head on over to sunnyside.co slash minimalist to get started today. So you decided that you were going to literally re like use the, the brain that changes itself book as a primer, and you were going to rewire your brain. Tell me about that process. Tell me about what you did, how, I mean, because here you are, 15 years later, and you are gorgeous and talking and have a whole life. And I mean, tell me about what, how that, how that happened. How did you do it? Well, what I learned was the basics of neuroplasticity. And I have a blog on my website called the 10 fundamentals of neuroplasticity. Which I will link to in the show notes, folks, everything, all this will be there. Go for it. Yep. Um, And as you probably know, they didn't even confirm neuroplasticity until 1973. Yeah. And my injury was in 2007. And I took Norman Deutsch's book to my neurologist and told him he needed to read it (laughs) because it still was not well known or commonplace among medical practitioners. I hope they are better informed these days. But basically, I what I what I did was I I decided that if something was difficult for me, like speaking or writing or even running and walking, mm-hmm. that that was like a neon sign saying, okay, that's where you need to work. So I would specifically write longhand, write page a day for a year mm-hmm. to, and I mean, at first I worked on the um, little dry erase board like kindergartners use tracing letters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't write yeah. and I still, still not good. Mm-hmm. Because think about all the years that you have in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, you learn to do that. And I would sing thank out loud. Thank God I, for keyboards, right? <laughs> I would sing out loud. I'd read Dr. Seuss out loud. I practiced my speech. And the, I would visualize my lips moving. And the sounds, the crisp sounds that I wanted coming out of my mouth. Visualization is a tool that is really underused. Mm -hmm. Um, Neurons fire, muscles fire, neurochemicals are secreted when you just visualize things happening. Yeah. So a lot of way, I mean, athletes can increase muscles specifically just by visualizing. Yeah. I've read that study. 
<laughs> so I would I would like practice enunciating visually because speaking was very difficult for me. I mean, everything. I would dribble a basketball with one hand while um, going through the ABCs because what you're doing is teaching your brain and your body to work together. I would, I ran every day. I exercised every day for years. And that is because you can do things with, as an adult, neuroplasticity is not as easy to happen as it was when you were a child. When you're a child, your brain is like a sponge and it's just easy. As an adult, you can turn it back on and encourage it with certain circumstances. And a lot of these are unconscious that we're not aware of. And that's how addictions form. Mm -hmm. But you can set the same circumstances intentionally. Uh, One is very focused attention. I mean, wanting something, wanting to learn how to speak. Another is repetition, continuous repetition day after day after day, because what, you know, this, what wires together, fires together. I mean, I'm sorry, what fires together, wires together. So your brain makes paths. Your brain is very efficient and it's going to, it's going to use the path of least resistance. And that is going to be what is used most often. So mm-hmm. if you use it, it gets better. Right. And I just, I, I, and I don't mean to say I did it all myself. I also did um, hyperbaric oxygen treatment, which I still do. Mm-hmm. I did neurofeedback, biofeedback for years where they put electrodes on your head and they actually train your brain waves. Mm-hmm. And that was dramatically healing. I tried every alternative therapy and modality. And if I saw good results, I kept at it. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I stopped. Well, another thing that was remarkably healing was acupuncture. She mm-hmm. used to put um, pins in my head and hook <laughs> them up to electrodes. And we would send electrical signals into my brain and there is some thinking that your brain is like a battery that can be recharged and it proved true for me but an essential part of neuroplasticity is dopamine Mm -hmm. and dopamine is heavily involved in addictions yeah so that's why drinking or any addiction, behavioral, gambling, pornography, uh, drugs, that's why they become habits. They literally get wired into your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, it's a dopamine release and you get that and it's, and dopamine motivates us to, to seek it out again. That's the, the, the goal of dopamine folks. And you have to keep I mean, dopamine wants more and more to get right. the same hit. So you have to keep upping it. Yeah. When you were in the process of doing all this work on really rewiring your brain and really just deciding to live again, 
did you think about it then? Like, okay, this is a higher purpose. This is the, you know, I have a new, you've gone on to, you have a great blog and I'll link that in the show notes, folks. It's called best brain possible and, um, written a couple of books. And is that, I mean, were you like, this is what I meant to do? Or was it just like, I'm going to keep on working at my life and working at my life and working at my life. And then at a certain point in time, you thought somebody said, you really should share all that because you've worked at it a long time. No, you, what people don't realize is that I was brain injured. Yeah. And that is, I'm going to liken it to someone who's like mentally impaired. And I mean, at first it was severe. So all I was trying to do was figure out a way out of this mess. And I used to tell myself, if I have to live, I am not living like this. Right. And I knew that if it was going to get better, it was up to me because I wasn't getting any help from the medical professionals. And I've always been hard headed. And this was the first time that I ever put it to work for me. I've always tried to get a man or keep a man or I don't put it, put it in the wrong places. This was the first time I invested it in myself. Mm -hmm. And I literally, it took literally three years, I think for the fog to lift. And about three years, I said, I started the blog, I think three, two or three years after the brain injury. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that I'd always wanted to be a writer and I was pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And um, what was more instrumental for me than even the medical practitioners was the online community of brain injury survivors and stroke survivors and emotional survivors, which you might also agree with. But I got more information, more helpful information from those communities mm -hmm. than I did from anywhere else. And I thought, I want to share this. Mm -hmm. And at first, my blog was all about healing from brain injury. Mm -hmm. But as I healed my physical brain, I also healed my emotions and spirit and mental health. And it's kind of like, okay, the first time around when you learn your behaviors and your reactions, and believe it or not, a lot of your emotions are learned. Mm -hmm. I mean, your reactions and the way you emote mm -hmm. is basically learned from your environment. And the first time around, we don't have any choice in that. But here I was given a very unique experience to consciously choose that. Yeah. And I did. I read voraciously. I read everybody. <laughs> and I was also going to therapy. I had a really good therapist who practiced cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And I just, this time I consciously with awareness built my brain and 
a lot of the anxiety responses and depressive thinking was still there. That was still my initial response. But I learned, okay, to pause. And I learned I'm not my faults. I'm not a slave to my reactions or my impulses. I do have the ability to pause and decide, okay, how do I want to respond? How do I want to act? And sometimes it was awful hard not to like respond to an email from Max Husband. Right. But I would make myself, okay, say, okay, you're not going to respond until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe post something and then read it tomorrow. Yeah. And I... also what guided my behavior was, was me thinking, okay, who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Not who are you programmed to be? Yeah. Consciously choose. And I did. I started choosing to act and I mean you can't you can't choose the thoughts that randomly spontaneously pop into your head but you can choose how you react to those whether you believe them whether you act on them and there was the power that I had to change my life yeah. Oh, 100%. That alone changes your life. Yeah. I, I remember when I first, so for me, it was a similar thing, not cognitive behavioral therapy, but life coaching and learning this, the, the coaching that I've learned and employ the idea. I remember who, when she said it to me, because I was so caught up in this story that I had about this experience. And she said to me, you realize that every thought that you have is optional. And I was like, what? She's (laughs) like, every thought you have is optional. You can choose to think it, or you can choose to think something else instead. And I was like, what? I mean, I literally like my, I still like, I still can remember the feeling because, and especially for somebody, you know, if you're an intelligent person and I like to think of myself as until I call myself a, you know, I, I self-described know-it-all. And so of course I never questioned my thinking because my thoughts were my thoughts. Like they're right because I thought them, you know, like I never understood that power. And once you realize like, oh my gosh, like I feel this way because I've just been choosing to think this way for however many years when I could have been thinking a different way and feeling something completely different. Oh, (laughs) okay. I think that's pretty amazing. And once you realize, and once you really, you know, grab a hold of that power, just like, you know, obviously you have grabbed a hold, you have worked really hard, given the circumstances that you found yourself in to, to really come so very, very far. But now it's just, I mean, you have to agree. It's like the brain is just amazing. The human brain is amazing. And every single one of us has the power to change our lives. If we want to simply take hold of it and do it. Um, I'm not a big believer in just think positive. 
I no. think that, <laughs> that can be as unhealthy as negative thinking. Oh yeah, for sure. And there are people who like challenge what you and I just said. And I'm not, I'm not promoting just sick positive. Yeah, no. me neither. Yeah. Mm-mm. What I'm promoting is choose how, what you want to think and what you want to become and what thoughts you act upon and act accordingly, make that reality, make that person come true. Yeah. And there is your power. I like to say it's like um, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, (laughs) who always had the slippers on her feet. We've always had that power. We just didn't know it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was 40 something before I realized, oh, everything I think is true. <laughs> I mean, that was my big aha moment. I thought, oh my gosh, I used to believe that everything I thought was true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's an amazing story. It's an, been an amazing journey. I could talk to you. I'm sure you and I could talk for hours. My, our, my listeners might be like, okay, yes, you two are enjoying this conversation. Um, but I want to tell everyone where, so could you please share with them, where can they find your work? Where can they engage with you? I will again, share it all in the show notes folks, but Debbie Hampton, where can they find you? Um, I've got a website called thebestbrainpossible.com yep. and there's over 400 articles on there. And like I said, a lot of them at first were about the brain injury and how to recover. But since then, there you can search via categories and there's a whole section on neuroplasticity and the basics and how to harness it. There's a whole section on anxiety. Mm-hmm. depression, brain health, Alzheimer's, aging, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I've written two books and one is Be Depression and Anxiety by Changing Your Brain. Mm-hmm. And that is basically the how-to manual of how to use neuroplasticity to change your brain patterns that make you anxious and that make you depressed. Mm-hmm. And basically those things are nothing more than brain patterns. They do manifest as physical symptoms because as you now know, the brain and the body are intricately connected. Yep. There is no separation. Matter of fact, they discovered lymph vessels in your brain, which they didn't think there were any uh, just a few years ago. They Mm -hmm. thought your brain was what's called immune privileged. Mm -hmm. And they realize now that's how inflammation and all the the mind-body connection manifest. And it's real. Mm -hmm. And you have, uh, basically, you have a brain. You have more of neural systems in your gut than you do in your head and your spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And your what you eat has a direct immediate impact on your brain yep so this book tells what i've learned as a recovered and how recovered and it tells 
about those things, about your mind-body connection, what visualization, meditation, breathing, what you can do to learn to calm your body mm-hmm. and to calm your brain. So you don't have to resort to the things like I did. Yeah. And like, I still have anxious tendencies, but I've learned how to immediately calm my body mm-hmm. and how to argue with the anxious thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from so many people that this is a manual for them. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people carried around in the pocketbook. Mm-hmm. And my second book is called Sex, Suicide, and Serotonin. And it's basically my memoir of how I got to the point in my life that I thought ending my life was the answer and how it recovered spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, all that. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from people that that's a life changer. Yeah. Uh, People that have been in the same place or had suicidal thoughts. I've heard, okay, there's one guy that said, it kept him from pulling the trigger. Wow. Wow. And it, it makes me happy to know that I can help people in that way. Because mm-hmm. I believe that when we share our stories and we show our vulnerabilities and we show the mistakes we made and all the ugly truths, that it helps other people realize, well, I'm not so different. What makes us feel ostracized and so lonely is that we that people don't talk about this stuff mm-hmm. and don't share it. And then we think we're the only ones or we think, what's wrong with me? Right. Uh, so good. I just really appreciate you coming on the show. I can't wait to, because um, I know people that listen to this are really going to be inspired and they're going to want to check at those, all of that out. Great resources, wonderful stories and wonderful, uh, the wonderful content in the books as well. So please do, as again, as said, folks, this, all the stuff will be linked in the show notes so you can find it easily. Debbie, thank you so very, very much for taking the time to be on with me today. I really loved talking to you and love talking with anybody that agrees that, that, that knows that the brain is as beautiful as I do. So thank you again for taking the time. Thank you, Molly. I enjoyed it as well. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Use something you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. You have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.